Welcome to Terrific Tips for Business, where we help you catch the ideas that stick. The point of the podcast is to help you overcome hurdles so you can master your business. I'm your host, Terry Watkins, owner and chief idea catcher at SpinFrogs Consulting, where I work with small business owners to find the pitfalls in their marketing and lift them to success. Let's get to the show. Welcome to another Terrific Tips for Business. I am Terry, your host, and you can't spell terrific without Terry. I am so glad that you decided to join us today. I get to bring on a friend of mine who I met, gosh, I guess it's been a little over a year now, and we met networking. So networking does work. If you have never networked before, it's always good to grow your network. Um, One of my friends told me early on into networking, networking is your net worth. So you want to make sure that you grow your network because it is your net worth. And so the stronger your network is, the more wealthy you are because of the connections that you have. And I believe that wholeheartedly. So I'm really excited to introduce you to my friend Kristen Norton and share with you some of her amazing skills and abilities because it really does help us feel more whole. And let me tell you why. So Kristen Norton is super passionate about helping people have more energy. Who doesn't want more energy? Hello. Can I get some more energy up in here? Yes, you can. She wants them to have more energy to do what they love with the people they love. Isn't that beautiful? I just love that. She does this by helping clients work towards personalized paths to healthy eating. So we've all heard diets, right? And diets really don't work. What Kristen does is she puts together a nutrition plan for well-balanced living that makes sense for you in your lifestyle and patterns of behavior that are going to help you live a healthier, wealthier life. Okay. Her clients say that she's really empathic, supportive and friendly. And I totally agree with them hundred percent. She is amazing. She works with people on developing mindful eating and meal planning skills that help them achieve that balanced diet and lifestyle that they can stick with. Cause it's really a lifestyle guys. Diets don't work, but lifestyles do. That's what lasts, right? So Kristen gained her bachelor's degree in dietetics. I think I said that right. And a master's in wellness, and I have no idea how to pronounce that word, Kristen. Gerontology. Gerontology. Okay. So wellness and gerontology from Ball State University in Indiana, and she's been licensed and registered dietitian since 2007. Please join me in welcoming Miss Kristen Norton to the show. Thanks for being here today. Well, thanks, Terry. I'm so excited to be here and honored. It's fun to talk to you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So you've been doing nutrition and wellness in this kind of world for a really long time. Like what, why, what made you like excited about it? And why do you do it? Yeah, well, I first got excited about nutrition when I was in grade school. I was a gymnast and a very, very picky eater. And so I was struggling to get enough energy and fuel to uh, do well at practice. And um, my family wasn't really well versed in nutrition or cooking. So it was kind of like I took myself on a path of learning about how do I feel better? How do I get out of this picky eating situation? And it just propelled my interest from there. I knew from 
like fourth grade, I'm going to study nutrition. Wow. So you were one of those amazing people who kind of had their life journey planned out for them. It was like ordained that this is what you were going to do. Right. Yeah. You were just open to receiving it. Such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. So your journey has really led you all sorts of places. Like what was maybe like one of the most amazing or deciding factors for you in that early start that you were like, yes, this is the answer and, and kind of kept you going. Yeah. Well, let's see. I, there wasn't really any defining moment, but it's been a really fascinating journey because, you know, they say you can help people even if you're just one step ahead of them. So I feel like I had to help myself first and I've been on this weird nutrition journey. So like I said, I was really picky as a child and then through college, I was a cheerleader at Ball State. So again, the athletics and um, I didn't have the best diet, but I was still learning. And then, you know, emotional issues came into play and I realized, oh, I'm an emotional eater. So then I had to realize how to deal with that. Um, and then finally, towards the end of college, you really dive into like the true nutrition topics because before it's just the chemistry and biology and all of that stuff that's really challenging. Um, so then it was towards the end of college that I was like, okay, I'm getting this. I can understand how to make some changes. And then from there, I went into my clinical internship. And so I was working in the hospital and that just opened up a ton of doors for me um, in terms of all the different ways nutrition can have an impact. And that's actually how I got interested in the wellness path of nutrition because in the hospital, you see all of the people who, you know, nutrition has already gone out the window for them. And unfortunately, their quality of life has really suffered. Oh, we have hey, somebody hey. peeking. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in here. Um, and anyway, so this is, I'm just kind of trying to explain my journey and through so my work at the hospital, I discovered that really wellness is my passion. I want to reach the people who are willing to make changes or to focus on prevention so that they can live their best life and do all the things that they want to do, have the life they love and live it to the fullest. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful mission to be on. I love that. You mentioned being a really picky eater a couple of times when you were a child. So was there something that you found, a tool or a habit or a technique that helped you to not be so picky about the food that you were eating, or are you still a picky eater? <laughs> well, there's some foods I can be picky about, um, but I think the more I've learned about nutrition, the more it's helped me understand, like, it's okay to try new things, and if there's a benefit to a food... And I'm like, okay, maybe this is worth trying. Whereas before, I really didn't understand like the benefit of nutrition or why certain foods were helpful. So I think just the more I understood about nutrition, the more I wanted to try new vegetables or try new protein foods. Um, I Yeah, I used to not like a ton of things. And my mom and my dad are still that picky. It's also been like my exposure to other people who eat a variety. Your environment is really important to you. So when I met my husband, he really did a great job of introducing me and encouraging me to try new foods. So it's, it's who you're around that matters and your willingness to try new things. 
Awesome. So really kind of being open to what those experiences may lead for you. And then you mentioned too that really finding the the path of the wellness journey and, and in college and in later in high school and in college, emotional eating became something that came up for you. So was there a, a technique or a strategy that you used to not only help you identify that it was emotional eating, but how to control that so that you didn't overeat? Because I know that happens a lot with emotional eaters. Yeah. And that was a whole journey in itself to learn about that. So um, and I, I can't really pinpoint when I started on that journey, other than that I know like the emotional eating was mainly in college. Um, but it's one of the things that I'm so glad that I've experienced and that I've kind of put into my tool belt as a dietitian. Because if you just focus on the food and not the why we're eating, you're missing a big component. So some of the things that I've done to kind of help myself and others with emotional eating is the mindful eating approach. Really stopping and pausing before we eat and just thinking, what's driving my decision right now? Um, and then the next biggest question is, what do I really need? So we often think it's food or, you know, our body is just in our mind is saying food. That's the answer right now. Um, but if we stop and pause, maybe we need a nap or maybe we just need to journal out crappy things that are going on in our head. Um, so it's really kind of a discovery process of um, listening to your mind and your body, which a lot of us have learned to tune out. So it's a process of tuning back in. That's beautiful and, and so important because we do. I, I'm guilty, right? Especially now that we're in these COVID times, we're, what, two steps, five steps away from our kitchen cabinets and our refrigerator, right? So when you're sitting there and you're working away and all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's like 1130, 12 o'clock, it's lunchtime. I probably should like go and find something to eat. You're doing it because of the time on the clock, not because your stomach is telling you to. And there have been days that I wait until my stomach tells me I'm hungry and it's like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I'm like, wait, did I eat anything today? <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, so now I'm like into the day and I'm like, I have things I need to get done. So I want to eat quick, like get me something to like stop this from grumbling so that way I can keep going. Right. So am I eating for the right reason? And am I grabbing the right things? Oh, Mm, yeah, it's not. fine balance. Like that situation is such a, a great um, point to talk about because on one hand, it is good to set our bodies up for success and have a regular eating pattern. But when we get into the habit of that, it can sometimes mean we're just eating by the clock. So you do have to pay attention to both of those things, right? Like, am I feeding myself at regular intervals, but am I also paying close attention to my hunger and fullness cues? Mm -hmm. And when we don't feed ourselves at regular intervals, at least, especially for me, I find myself at that two or three o'clock point and I'm like, oh, just give me anything and eat anything right now. And then you don't make the best choices and then it can kind of uh, be a downward spiral from there. Yeah, that's when you grab the chips or the crackers or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and for me, we don't keep a lot of sweets in the house. So we don't have cookies or candy or anything like that usually. Although my husband did convince us to get Snickers bars. 
because I am that person that gets hangry and yeah. uh, <laughs> get this woman a Snickers bar. <laughs> what he said. You like that commercial. <laughs> you turn into a totally different person. I, I do. I do. Especially to him, which I feel bad. He puts up with it, which is good. <laughs> yes. I know. I, I am the same way. My husband gets on me because he's like, gosh, why are you hangry? And why did you pass that along to your kids? And I'm like, I can't help it. <laughs> Sorry. It's funny too, because we've been married 10 years this year, but we've been together for 18 and it probably took 10 years of us being together before he realized that my snappy attitude was not me being grouchy towards him. It was because I was hungry. <laughs> he caught on. He could be like, do you want to get a meal together now? <laughs> he started to figure it out. He's like, so what are you feeling like eating? <laughs> oh, I guess I am hungry. Um... <laughs> really funny but we can see these emotions come out right so emotional eating is not just I feel like crap or I feel sad or I'm depressed right it could be oh, I'm 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 angry why am I angry you know and and we have the emotion that comes out in different ways for different people that causes us to eat and then you're right we do make worse decisions than if we were sticking more to a regular routine, we'd probably make healthier choices. Right. Exactly. Now I've also heard that we have two brains. Like we have the brain that's in our head that we all know about, but then our stomachs actually have a brain too. So as a dietitian, can you talk to us a little bit about that? What does that mean? And how does that play a role in what we eat? Yeah. So the gut microbiome is a huge hot topic right now. And so what we eat and what's going on our, in our gut can affect our mood, our um, mental focus, and it's huge. So our thoughts are powerful, but also what our gut is doing is really powerful. So that's why you see prebiotics and probiotics really popular and people trying to figure out, you know, what is my gut tolerating? What foods make me feel good and energized right now? Because we're discovering how impactful it is. Yeah. So what is the difference between a prebiotic and a probiotic? Yeah, good question. So a prebiotic is food for the bacteria, the good bacteria in your gut. So it comes from fibrous things that we eat, like plants. Um, so asparagus or ginger, things that can feed the happy uh, gut bacteria and um, make it so that they can do their job and be the predominant uh, force in our gut rather than the unhealthy gut bacteria. And a probiotic is the healthy gut microbe that does, that has benefits in our gut, in our body. Okay. So they do sell like probiotics and prebiotics out there in the marketplace, how do we know which one we need, first of all, and then how do we know of all the different brands that are out there, which one is doing what it says it's doing? Yeah, that's a tricky question. So talking to um, your doctor or dietitian about that is recommended because there's so many different types of probiotics and not all of them are regulated. So there could, you know, and it's such a hot topic too that you'll see like foods with 
probiotics listed on them and just like random things you wouldn't have thought about, but that's not regulated. So you don't know if after you ingest that, that the probiotic stays alive by the time that it gets to your gut. So that's really important to know. And there's different species and strands and they've been tested for different things. So it depends on the research um, that is behind it. And if there's enough research to back it up that it's healthy, otherwise you might just be wasting your money. So um, I can't answer that because like directly because there's so many different things that it could help with. And it depends on the science that's out there in this particular product. Well, and the individual person, I would imagine, too, yes. what that individual person needs as well. So Absolutely. that makes sense. But that was very helpful. So thank you for enlightening us because we've heard probiotics a lot. Um, and one of the things that one of my friends talks about all the time is the good good gut bacteria versus the bad gut bacteria. And if you have too much bad gut bacteria, you probably are craving your sweets, your carbohydrates, all of the things that make you plump up and gain weight but if you have a lot of the good bacteria or the good um good stuff in your gut you're probably more actually craving your proteins or your green leafy green stuff over the the sweet stuff so how do we get rid of some of this bad gut bacteria like can we get rid of it well my answer is to focus on those prebiotics that are going to help with the healthy gut bacteria so you know, more plants in your diet are, you know, the standard American diet is focused on meat and maybe some potatoes, but look at your plate. Is the majority of your plate made up of colorful produce, fruits and vegetables? If not, that would be the best place to start. And, you know, you may have to fight through a little bit of cravings to get to this pattern being a regular part of your you know, a day-to-day approach, but focusing on getting more color back into your diet first and foremost to promote that healthy gut bacteria. And you can speak to this, right? Because you love vegetables and you've been making them a priority for you over the past year, haven't you? I have, yeah. Um, I have been vegetarian now a little over a year. So May of 2019, I went vegetarian and I just like, that's it. I'm not eating meat anymore. And actually came out of a really interesting conversation with somebody who is a networker here in our community. And she works with her husband doing concrete refinishing. (laughs) She actually also makes candles, scented candles and um, lip balms and organic, all organic, beautiful things. And so we had an amazing conversation about vegetarianism because she's been vegetarian for like 12 years. And, um, we were talking and I was like, you know, just the the headaches, I couldn't deal with the headaches during my hormone cycles. And she was like, you know, I used to get that all the time too, but I haven't had to take any kind of painkiller in 12 years. And I'm like, tell me more. (laughs) I need to know. And she mentioned being vegetarian and what a difference it made for her, both for her skin and for her, just the headaches and the cramping and all of that stuff just went away. And I haven't seen it go completely away for me, but it has leveled out a little bit more. It's not as intense as it was. I don't require as much medication now. Essential oils do a lot of of the trick to help keep things under control. 
um, which is great. So it's, it's been really good. Going plant-based has been really good. Um, I get reflexology once a month and I do a foot detox with it. And last year when I was doing the foot detox, the water was as dark as my black jacket is. Um, but this year in doing the foot detox, I can still see my feet in the water. Um, so I know that going plant-based and having a lot of the natural plant proteins from like, um, tempeh or from tofu, that stuff actually has really made a big difference in my body internally. Haven't seen it come through on the external stuff yet. (laughs) I was just listening to a podcast by Dr. McGregor, McGregor, um, but he wrote the book, How Not to Die. And he was actually highlighting the research behind um, people who went on a vegetarian diet or a low fat diet that focused on lots of fruits and vegetables, um, experienced less migraines. So they didn't go away completely, kind of like in your case, but it went from a couple times a week to a couple times a month. And I went from it being like every single month, it would last three or four days to every single month it lasts maybe a day or two. And it's usually controlled with essential oils or uh, an ibuprofen but I can take like one round of ibuprofen and it's gone, Yay! which is awesome because before, I mean, I was living on it for three or four days and not touching it. So it's huge. My liver thanks me for not (laughs) taking as much medication. So I think it's, um, I think it's important to focus though on the colorful plants that are on your plate. So fruits and vegetables, not just what you might need to take away. Yeah. Because yeah. there is research that you could go flexitarian. Just the fact of adding colorful fruits and vegetables can have a benefit. It also depends on, you know, how severe your, your body is suffering from a particular ailment. Um, but a lot of people can benefit just from adding. And the fact that they're adding the fruits and vegetables means that there's just less room for the other stuff. So it's kind of a win-win, but you focus on getting to eat more of something instead of focusing on what you have to take away. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is the best recommendation for somebody who maybe doesn't like vegetables or they already eat a lot of vegetables, but they're maybe bored with the vegetables that they're eating? How would you suggest them maybe mixing that up? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, if you haven't roasted vegetables, I recommend that because maybe some of the people who grew up with canned vegetables as the only source and maybe mushrooms from a can versus fresh mushrooms, it's totally different. So sauteed or roasted can really bring out the flavor of fresh vegetables, kind of caramelize it a bit, and it doesn't make it so that it's a high carbohydrate food, but it brings out a little bit of sweetness to it. So if you're not roasting fresh vegetables, or if you think you don't like a vegetable because you're used to the canned version, give the fresh a try. And speaking of being bored or, you know, needing some inspiration, the farmer's market, hands down, I think is the best place to go. Because if it's growing in season where you are right now, it is going to be at its most delicious state. Mm. 
And the farmers can always, you know, I'm like, what do I do with this? So I bought like peppery basil the, um, this past Saturday. And I was asking him, so how do you do it? What do you do with this? It was like purple and it was a little spicier. And he's like, I just eat it like a snack. <laughs> okay. Well, he's like, here, you try it. And I'm like, okay, I don't see this as a snack, but it might be what, um, you know, can take my dish over the top by just sprinkling a little bit on top. Um, adding some fresh flavor like that can really bring some uh, needed inspiration or fun to your plates. And thinking outside the box in terms of how you can use your produce. <laughs> Another voice heard from today. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. A lot going on in my house today. Um, so thinking about how you can use your produce. So if you're just having it by itself, that can be kind of boring, right? Like just broccoli on the side. Uh, but think about, for instance, Taco Tuesday. It's my favorite thing to talk about because you can take a taco or a nacho style meal and jazz it up in so many different ways. So instead of iceberg lettuce, try arugula on there. Mm. And, you know, peaches, it's kind of peach season. So add some peaches to the top with some fresh salsa, tomato salsa. So think about like a, a comforting food and how you can add fresh produce to that so that you marry, you know, a comforting food that you love with a new way to incorporate a fruit or a vegetable. I love that. And I love arugula. So what turned me on to arugula before I went vegetarian was the arugula steak sandwich that they have at Panera Bread. Mm. Holy smokes. That is a good sandwich. <laughs> And <laughs> I haven't thought about it in over a year, um, but it's a good sandwich. But putting arugula on just a, a romaine lettuce. So when I do my salads and I don't do salads very often because I find salads very boring. But if I do a romaine lettuce with some um, fresh spinach and I throw some arugula on top, man, it's so good. It like really just changes the entire flavor of that salad. And there's a lot of different ways that we can mix it up, right? Like it doesn't have to be a green, like all vegetable salad. You can do vegetable with some fruit on it, or you can do vegetable with, if you add like croutons or um, one of my family's recipes is taco salad. So you do just a regular salad, but then you throw Doritos in it and you mix it up with Catalina dressing. Now it tastes like a taco salad. And it's all still vegetables, but you've added something that makes it a little, it feels like you're cheating. But yeah. You're not. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. Cool. That's awesome. Um, so you have a couple of children, right? In, yeah. their, in their development, what's been maybe the biggest challenge that you've seen with them in terms of helping them with their nutrition journey from a young age? So they are five and seven, and my biggest struggle is that especially my seven-year-old has the picky tendencies that I had growing up. And so I find solace in knowing that I made my way through being picky, and um, as I got older, I grew out of it and was willing to try new things. And the advantage that she will have is that Okay, so my children are um, 
five and seven. And one of the biggest challenges that I've faced is with, especially with my seven-year-old daughter, she is starting to uh, take on some of the picky tendencies that I had and that many children have. Uh, so I find solace in knowing that for me, I made it through the picky stage. And the more I grew up, the more I was able to try new things. So I think part of it is just being a child and, you know, having this attachment to foods that are comforting and trying some, think about the last time you tried something new and you didn't love it. It takes us 20 times or more sometimes to get acquainted to a certain food. So kids being new to almost everything, they have to have this exposure. So the, the advantage that my daughter has that I didn't is that I'm exposing her to a variety of foods all the time. And I'm showing her this is a healthy, varied, balanced diet that your mom and dad are eating. And here's what we made for dinner. You know, you have the choice how much of it you want to eat, but this is dinner. And, um, you know, we're not going to have peanut butter and jelly for dinner. This is dinner. So you get to oh, decide what you want of that to eat. And for me growing up, I had like five dishes that we rotated with at home. I wasn't really exposed to a ton of fruits and vegetables or variety. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have that advantage. But so letting them know without like encouraging them to try new things, exposing them to new things, letting them know like it's okay it's ultimately your decision after you try it whether you want to eat it or not yeah we just ask that you give it a shot and Beautiful. so giving them that comfort of okay it's it's my decision is something that really helps children have a healthy relationship with food and be willing to try it and expand in the long run um so when it comes to that i love that you're you're giving them the option to eat how much or how little they want. I remember when I was growing up, you didn't get to leave the table until your plate was clean. So the psychology of the relationship that you're helping your daughter and son have with their food is you eat as much or as little as you want, but in an hour when you're hungry again, what happens? Do they get to have whatever they want or are they having to go back to that same meal? Like what's the pattern in your house? Like if they decide they don't want to eat all of their dinner what happens. Yeah. So at dinner time, it's usually followed by bath and our bedtime routine. So they don't get anything else. And, and they know that we warn them like, okay, you don't have to eat this, but this is all there is for the night. So sometimes they wake up and they're really hungry for breakfast and breakfast is their favorite uh, meal of the day and one that we're a little more lenient on. So it works out, but yeah, they, they realize if, I don't want to go to bed hungry. So they eat at least enough to fill their bellies. Well, that's good. Yeah. I love that because then you're really, again, you're changing that relationship with the food. You're changing the psychology that happens with it. And that's going to help them have a healthier relationship with it. Not just have healthier bodies because of what they're eating, but be open, more open to trying different things, being willing to say, you know what? I don't really like this, but that's okay. And I'm going to eat as much of it as I can. And tomorrow it'll be a different meal and it's all good. Um, that really kind of changes how we think about food too. And I think that's one of the big problems with our societies, how we think about food. 
Yes. Yeah. So many of us grew up in that same kind of environment where we had to finish our plate because they're starving children in other countries or because it was wasteful. And so my husband is like that. And we kind of battle too sometimes. I'm like, our kids don't have to finish their plate. And he's like, but I finished my plate. Look at me. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So like, we're not perfect. And we still kind of struggle to find that balance between our parenting. But uh, luckily he's like, you're the expert. Okay, I'll listen to you. <laughs> right. You can get a cookie because you finished your plate. They didn't, so they don't get one. So there you go. <laughs> your blue ribbon for the day. <laughs> yeah, but so many of us grew up that way, right? That yeah. we had to finish our plates. And that just teaches us to not listen to our own body cues. Like, look at the physical cues in front of you. If there's still food on the plate, you got to eat it. Right. Interesting. Oh, that's a good thing to think about, too. Yeah. What would you say is a good way for people to start listening to the cues in their body of when they're hungry or when they've had enough to eat or figuring out what that hunger cue means? Like, okay, maybe I'm hungry, but what do I need? Like, how do we figure out what we need to satisfy that cue? And what are maybe some tips that people can do to start listening to that? Sure. Well, a lot of times when we get to the point where we're hung we're hangry, we've waited a little bit too long. And that goes back to the idea of feeding ourselves at regular intervals. So we, everybody experiences hunger a little differently. And I like to ask my clients how they know when they're hungry. And some will say, you know, I, I start thinking about food or I can't focus anymore. Some will say my stomach starts rumbling or, you know, I just kind of feel a little bit weak. So it's, it's different for everybody and it's important to tune in to what are those things that you're feeling before you get maybe shaky or extra hangry or irritable. And I have this tool that I use with them called the hunger scale and it goes from one to 10 and it gives descriptions of what each number is and it really helps people start to pay attention and identify whether they're waiting too long to eat or whether they're eating and they're never really feeling hungry. There's certain reasons why you might never feel hungry. It could be that you're just not used to paying attention or it could be some digestive issues. If you have a lot of bloating or gas, that can cover up some signs of hunger. So it really is a personalized thing, but the first thing I recommend is just starting to tune in and thinking, sometimes it's nice before a meal to stop and think, okay, how hungry am I right now? And then in the middle of that meal, stop and say, okay, on the hunger scale, where am I now? And then an hour or two after that meal, again, how full am I now? Am I Thanksgiving day full? Am I just right? Do I feel energized? Do I feel sluggish? And so then you can kind of start to pinpoint some maybe ways that you can tune in or slow down with your meal or change the components of your meal if you're always feeling sluggish, even if you stop before you feel extra full. I love that. Those are all great points because it really helps you to start to identify, do I really need that after dinner snack? Hmm. Mm. Probably not. You're probably actually thirsty. 
Mm-hmm. So is there a way that we can identify hunger from thirsty? Like what do you recommend to help people identify that maybe they just need more water in their life? Yeah, that's an excellent point. So there is a general rule of thumb that if you eat, if you drink half of your weight in ounces of water a day, that's about what you need. And you do get fluids from the foods that you're eating, especially if they're abundant in fruits and vegetables. But oftentimes starting with just making sure you're drinking enough can help you improve your focus, your energy, your mood. Um, And when you drink in between, you often drink water in between meals, you often need to eat less because of what you mentioned. You know, we often think, oh, something's missing in my mouth and maybe I need to eat food. And really it's just, I haven't been drinking enough water. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I don't remember who it was now that told me this idea. And if my dog barks, I'm sorry. I think she hears yours. Um, <laughs> she just came into the room. Um, I, one of my friends had mentioned, and I don't remember who it was now, every time they feel hungry, instead of getting something to eat right away, they go to the fridge and get a glass of water and they Mm. drink a glass of water. And then once the glass of water is gone, then they check in and say, okay, am I still hungry? If the answer is no, you're like, oh, I wasn't hungry to begin with. Was I, I just needed water. (laughs) Yeah. I like that strategy, but I also think like, planning ahead and just making sure you're drinking water. So this was life-changing for me. I've got this nice um, uh, cup that keeps my water really ice cold and the ice will stay ice in there for a long time. And that's a huge game changer for me. It's large, so I always keep it full. And without this and without the straw to drink water with, I'd find myself, I just don't drink enough water. So being proactive with it is helpful too. Absolutely. Um, so half of your body weight in ounces, that's a lot of water yes. and water doesn't have a whole lot of flavor. Do you, do you suggest or recommend or have people add any flavors to their water to help them keep interested in it? Yeah. So when it's ice cold, I think it makes a difference for people. So that's my first recommendation is get a, a tumbler that can keep your water nice and cold. The other thing is, you know, add some fruit to it. So a squeeze of lemon or lime or a cucumber to your water can make it taste better and change the essence of it. And they even have packets by True Lemon and True Lime. It's the brand that it's just like a powdered lime or lemon. Mm -hmm. And then they even have a full packet that's almost like Kool-Aid. And it's sweetened with just a little bit of regular sugar and then stevia. And that's about the only flavor mix that I recommend because it has natural ingredients and there's no like caffeine or um, food coloring in it. So those are the recommendations I have to make water a little more exciting. Excellent. I tend to use the lime juice or the lemon juice that you can get from the juice section of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, I try and go with the organic one. Sometimes they don't have that and I have to do just the real lemon, I think is what it's called. It's a green bottle. Um, what about that? Like one of my friends had saw that and they were like, there's so much sugar in that. But I looked at it and I'm like, no, there isn't sugar in this. I didn't see 
What's that? Sugar and the limes? It's called the real lemon and it's a bottle. It's a, a mm. bottle of lemon juice. It's yeah, lemon juice from concentrate, I guess. Yeah, I like that idea. That's another great option. Okay, cool. Because I'm like, I don't know. I don't recall seeing any sugar in it. It seemed like it was just lemon juice from right. concentrate. But yeah. I yeah. keep that around for cooking because adding some citrus to your meals can really jazz it up or brighten it up. Mm -hmm. And I don't always have fresh lemon and lime. So I keep that in my fridge for a little splash of citrus flavor. Yeah. I love to keep fresh lemon, but it's been hard actually the last several times I've gone to the store. They haven't had any organic oh. lemon. I would love to grow a couple. The reason I've been looking for organic lemon is because I'd love to grow a couple of lemon trees that I can keep oh, in the house because they smell so good. Um, so I just kind of want to grow some lemon trees. So I was looking for some organic lemons so that way when I cut them and put them into my water, I can take the seeds and plant them and hopefully produce myself some organic lemon trees. Ooh, I'll be coming over for some lemons if that happens. If I can get myself any, because I haven't been able to find any organic lemons. They're all sold out. <laughs> if you had one tip or one thing that you wish you knew about wellness and nutrition when you were first getting started or maybe about the the wellness industry or business when you were first getting started what would that be mm. that it's not just about knowing what to eat there is complexity in our eating habits barriers to overcome reasons why we eat and an art in how we eat that makes a big difference. And when I first started out, like many dietitians who were trained this way, it was like, okay, you want this? Here's what you eat. See you in a month. And they come back and like, I didn't do it. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I already told you what to eat. And so that's something that I wanted to know. I should have known, wish I would have known earlier on is that you know, there's coaching that goes on, not just telling people what to eat. And there's lots of information out there. So it's not a lack of information or a lack of knowing what's good for us. It's that, you know, often we need somebody on our side and we need somebody who understands the complexity of why and how we eat and how we change our behaviors. Yeah, I agree. Having somebody not only to, to coach us through the why and how, but Having that accountability piece, I think, is a big deal in oh, that yeah. space, too, because it's really easy to let your gut tell you what to eat, and it's wrong most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> or those cravings, if you don't know how to, you know, interpret those cravings or, you know, stop and pay attention and really listen to what you need, not just what um, on a whim you think you want or need. So yeah, accountability is huge. We work with clients at Well-Balanced Nutrition, you know, about every two weeks or every four weeks, we check in with them even when they're doing well, because that accountability to keep going is really important. That's a great point. And I love that you mentioned the cravings too. So I guess one of the last questions I have for you is when we have a craving, how do we start to interpret that craving? Because I know it's easy to have a craving for a scoop of ice cream or for that chocolate brownie or that 
that thing of Rice Krispie treats or whatever it is. You just have this craving for something ridiculously bad for you. So what is it that you're actually craving when you crave the sweet stuff? Well, yeah, you see that information out there like, oh, if you're craving this, you might be deficient in this nutrient. And I don't think that's always the case, but I do think that it goes back to how balanced is your meal. So my business partner, Lucy, I love the story she tells when she was a young dietitian first starting off. She was eating all the right things and having a salad and having oatmeal. And then at night, she would just be craving all of those things like you mentioned. And, you know, she would eat them because that's what she was craving. But then when she really looked at it and understood uh, macronutrient balance, she was missing out on fats. You know, we grew up in the fat-free phase where, you know, snack well cookies, you can enjoy them because they're fat-free. Or salad dressing is now offered in fat-free and everything was fat-free. So that became what the norm was for healthy eating. But when we take out the fat, we're taking out um, a satiating factor of our meal and something that can make us feel sustained. So when she started adding healthy fats back into her diet, her cravings disappeared. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. So it could be what you're missing, um, like macronutrient-wise, protein, whole grains, or complex carbohydrates, or fat at your meals, or it could be to like a micronutrient deficiency like magnesium that comes from nuts and seeds and beans. If you're not having that, then you might be having some sweet cravings. So there's not like a cut and dry answer, but it does go back to, you know, what's missing in your diet. If there's uh, something that's out of balance, then that could be triggering your cravings. And it might not be specific to, you know, salty or sweet, um, but your body knows that something is missing and it's just craving something fast and convenient to try to fix that. Because we're in a fast and convenient culture. So of course we want something fast and convenient, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Even um, problems being solved, we think like, oh, I can lose weight in two weeks because the diet industry tells me that it can be fast and convenient. Yeah. No, it doesn't work that way. No. I promise. I've tried. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Kristen, this has been absolutely awesome. I so appreciate the insights, the, the information that you've shared with us about the gut health and cravings and how we control emotional eating, what we can do to help us with picky eating, and all of those pieces that you've shared with us today. I so appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I know our listening audience does too. So what's going to be the best way for them to get in touch with you to help them with their cravings and their well-balanced nutrition plan. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. And if the audience is interested, um, I invite them to come over to wellbalancednutrition.com and check out our website. There is a place where you can contact us and we offer a free one-on-one -on -one coaching session for anybody who's interested. They just fill out a form and they can talk to us by phone. So I invite all of you who might be interested Maybe you're experiencing cravings or you wonder if your diet is truly balanced, then let's talk. Come over to wellbalancednutrition.com and get a hold of me. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for being here and for sharing the information. And I know our audience is going to get in touch with you because why not? I mean, it's free. 
and you can live a healthier lifestyle. You can tap into more of that energy that we all wish we had. That's right. Energy is uh, what we're all seeking. And thank you so much, Terry, for having me. It was really fun chatting with you. Absolutely. Until next time, we'll catch you later. Thanks. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you've enjoyed the show, help us share it by leaving us a review. Also, make sure to follow us at SpinFrogs, that's S-P-I-N-F-R-O-G-S, at Facebook and Instagram to be notified about our future episodes.